Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. So, so the, the tail end of Luke chapter 10, we get this familiar story. So many people uh, are familiar with this story. And it's about two sisters and Jesus. It's about Martha, Mary, and, and, and Jesus. I want to pick it up for you right here in verse 38. It says, Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. We're going to see this phrase a couple of times before he gets there, before he would be betrayed, before he will be uh, crucified as a criminal, before he's raised from the dead. He, he, he's already got his, his, his gaze fixed on Jerusalem. He's headed there and he enters a village where a woman, and see, see here's what, one of the things in this culture as well, I'm not even going to get into this. But women were not given any dignity amongst the religious groups of that time. Pharisees, Sadducees, whatever. Jesus always extended dignity and love to women. He enters a village where a woman named Martha, here, here's what I would circle, welcomed him into her home. I would, these are things I circle when I'm studying. Welcomed him into her home. But her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Martha was distracted by the dinner she was preparing. She told Jesus, Lord, it's not fair that my sister just sits here while I do all the work. Tell her to come and help me. Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Here's some other words I would circle. You are worried. You are troubled about so many things. But only one thing, Natticate, is necessary. Here's another phrase I would underscore, highlight, circle. Mary has discovered what matters. Here would be my premise statement. We're talking to a southern culture, Loganville, Georgia. Here would be my premise statement. Jesus wants your heart, not your fried chicken. <laughs> Jesus wants your heart, not your barbecue. Jesus wants your heart. And I would say, don't focus on what you can do for Jesus. Focus on being with Jesus. If we extract anything out of here, we would say, I've, I've got to focus on being with the Lord. I must discover what matters. Have you discovered what matters? What truly matters? Brandy, as we ponder this, one thing is necessary. Martha was distracted, and distraction is an enemy of listening and being present. Being busy became her enemy of being with the Lord. Martha, when you read the text, she is the one that invited Jesus, welcomed Jesus into her house. But you wouldn't spend any time with him. 
And the narrative that I've seen amongst Southern culture church folk is people walk out, pray prayers, and they will say, I've welcomed and invited Jesus into my heart. But if you were to stop and say, cool, how much time are you spending with him? How much time do you carve out to be in his presence and to be in his word and to worship him and to adore him? Oh, you invited him into your heart. Why does it appear that what you treasure is not him? Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think that if there's any testimony that kind of captures the church at large, I ask Jesus into my heart, what change is he making? What priority does he take? And that is the narrative for so many of us today. The tension that you and I face every day is this. We allow the urgent demands of the moment to distract us from hanging out with the Lord. Martha, what happened? I got distracted. And we all can make the conclusion of, well, there's just so much to do. I just got so much to do. I mean, the reason I'm working all these hours is I just got too much to do. The reason I don't carve out time in the morning to be with the Lord and carve out time throughout the day to to breathe and be with Jesus is I, I just got too much to do. And we value the things that we accomplish and we call it being productive. God values intimacy with him, and he calls it being fruitful. Do you hear me? We look at all these things that we, we've accomplished, and we check them off, and we go, man, I am so productive. Are you fruitful? You can be productive and not be fruitful, but if you're fruitful, you're going to be productive. And I think we've got this mistaken ideology and worldview. So if I had to title this message today, I would title it, Stop, Sit, Listen, Pray. Stop, Sit, Listen, Pray, Press into the Lord. What is the most important thing that I will do on any given day? Stop. Sit with the Lord. Listen. And press in. The most important thing that I will do. Martha, Martha, Martha. Your sister has chosen what matters. And we need to define what matters. The challenge for each and every one of us is to eliminate distractions and to focus on the Lord, to focus on what matters. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Pay attention to what you give your attention to. Pay attention to what you give your attention to whatever 
you give your attention to, you're going to give your affection to. You're going to give your time to. You're, you're going to give your resources toward. Pay attention. Pay attention to what you give your attention to. Here's what I've discovered in my own life. That distractions lead to shallow thinking. And shallow thinking leads to shallow living. We wonder why our lives are so shallow. We wonder why our thinking is so disrupted. It's because we've allowed the enemy to sabotage us with all this good stuff. That's the word we used yesterday, Drew. Got all this stuff. And it becomes a destruction of what matters. So we will tell you, your story matters because you've been created in the image of God. You've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. God desires to fill us with the Holy Spirit. But we've got to focus on what matters if our story is going to matter to the level that God wants it to. So what are some of the distractions? Worry. We almost treat worry in Southern culture church like it is a spiritual gift. I know it's wrong, but greed. We get entangled with so many different pursuits of wanting more and got to have more. And, and, and what upsets us is when our greed wagon gets bumped into. Distractions of worry, greed. Here's another one huge. Trying to protect our own reputation. Man, I got to protect me. I got to defend me. And it becomes a distraction. I know this one doesn't apply to anybody in this room, but controlling others. That's for y'all watching online. That doesn't apply to anybody in this room. But that becomes such a distraction because what you'll come to realize is on your good day, you can't control you. And because you can't control you, you're trying to fix other people. Ask yourself this. What is the most important thing to me right now? What's most important to me? Where is my ultimate treasure? What do I value? Where do I give my time, attention, energy, affection? Am I more concerned with the pleasures of this world and stuff? Am I more concerned with this than I am committed to really just knowing God and pressing into the Lord? Have I lost focus? Maybe I was running well at one time. Have I gotten out of the lane? Have I lost focus of God's purpose and started to embrace the world's agenda? Here's the question, Teresa, for me. What do I need to do to become the me that God wants me to be. Write it down, put it on your mirror, paste it somewhere. What do I need to do to become the me that God wants me to be? I mean, I praise God that my generation did not grow up with the modern day technologies like many of y'all grew up with. My kids grew up with modern day technologies. 
endless information in the pocket. That has become the norm of our culture, not only for the millennials and others. Rick, that has become the norm for so many people. Endless information right here in my pocket. 77% of young adults said, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is grab my, and I would say, based on my hang time with you, that when something is demanding your attention, you still grab it. Turn off the notifications. You are being distracted and disrupted all the time. I started thinking like, what if we treated the Bible like we did our phone? Come on, somebody. Man, I can't find my Bible. Has anybody seen my Bible? I had it about 15 minutes ago because I got a message from God. Anybody know where my Bible is? Man, I'm charged up, man, I know, but I can't find my Bible. Man, it's been 30 minutes. I don't know where my Bible is. What about if we treated the Word of God like we did? A cell phone. But I can't find it. Man, my screen's broken. I got to go. I can't live without my phone. Oh, you can't. What about if we treated the Word of God and inserted all those phrases that we make toward a vice? Man, I can't find the Word. I was in the Word this morning. Man, I had, I had my Word with me. Man, I was pressed down to the Lord. The Lord sent me a message. The Lord notified me that he was for me, that he cared about me, that, that, that he loved me. What you got? What's being stolen today is our time. Time is the greatest commodity that we have. If I give you 20 bucks, Michael, I can get another 20. But if I give you 20 minutes of time, I'm just giving you something I'll never be able to get back. What's being stolen today because of all these distractions and interruptions, Jack, is our time, is our attention, is our peace of mind, is our ability even to be present in the moment. And we're not present with God at times. We're not, it's so easy even to come into church and be sitting here and be going, hmm, I need to be on out of here about 12.15, man, because I'm meeting my crew, my posse, my homies up at Huey's. I got to get on out of here, man, because we're going to the lake later on today. I got to get this done. I got We're not even present. Oh, man, my boy just texted me, said, man, he's ready to roll. Your boy just texted you. How about God speaking to you? We're not present with God. We're not present with other people. We're not present to enjoy the creation of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Look at what God's put before us. Ain't got time. And the sad thing is we're not even present with our own soul. And I don't even know how to be present with my own thoughts. 
You see, the Lord desires to develop in each and every one of us the fruit of the Spirit. He desires to develop us inside of us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. But being busy and being in a hurry and being distracted is not compatible. It's not compatible. And we wonder why we never hear from God, but we, we, we don't carve out that time. We need room to breathe. We need freedom to think. We need permission to heal today. And I give that to you right now in the name of Jesus. I give you the freedom to go home and set aside time and space to breathe, to think. Relationships today are being starved to death by speed, by velocity, by good intentions, by busyness. Starved to death. No one has time to listen, let alone ever extend love to somebody else. My question would be, the God we read about in the Psalms that leads people beside still waters, undoubtedly he's been replaced by a new covenant God that is pro-exhaustion. Or has he? No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't been replaced. We have replaced the big G God with small G gods, and we live like God is pro-exhaustion. God wants you tired. No. God wants to lead you beside still waters. He wants to quieten us. But we need sacred places to recover, to be restored, to be refreshed. Corey Ten Boom said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And the truth is, sin and busyness have the same effect on us because they cut off our connection to God. They cut off our connection to other people. They cut off the connection we have to even our own soul. We don't breathe. We don't get with our thoughts. We don't listen. John Ortberg said, the great danger today is that we will become so distracted, rushed, and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of life. And I think if there's anything that is an accurate commentary in our culture, we're so distracted and so rushed and so preoccupied that we settle, settle, settle for a mediocre version. Stop, stop, stop. Sit. Get with the Lord. Listen. Pray. Jesus leaves this conversation. Chapter 11 captures this. While Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished praying, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, 
Teach us to pray. Teach us to preach. Teach us to witness. Teach us to debate. No, 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 no. Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Two through four of chapter 11 here in Luke gives us some, but I want to dive into Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 captures the model prayer in much more detail. Listen to me. Model prayer. This is not the Lord's prayer. This ain't what Jesus was praying. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, talk to God, and commune with God. He gives them a model. When you pray, the Lord's Prayer is in John 17. When you pray, when you, you, you pray. You see, for a Jew and these guys with this Jewish background, prayer was a necessary, regular, natural way of life. They already had some concepts of prayer. They just didn't have the intimate connection in prayer. When you pray, don't, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in synagogues on street corners. Don't be like them. They love to be seen by men. They like to be recognized by men. They love platforms. They love public applause. They like to be recognized. That, 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 that's not how we pray. That's performance. That's not prayer. That's entertainment. That's not prayer. Don't, don't be like the hypocrites on street corners. You see, for the Jews back then, they were committed to praying three times a day. Go back and study the life of Daniel, morning, noon, and night. They would pray at 9 a.m. They would pray at high noon. They would pray at 3 p.m. And what would happen in this day is these Jewish leaders, Steve, they would pace themselves to hit the street corner right at 9 a.m., right at noon, right at 3. They would pace it so that they were in a place of recognition and visibility. He goes, don't, 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 don't be doing that. Don't, 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 don't be doing that. When you pray, when, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, pray to your father who is in secret, your father in secret, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father knows what you need before you ask him anyway. The inner room was a storeroom inside the homes of that day. Inside the structure of the home, there was this place called the inner room. And in the inner room, it was blocked off, if you will, to the remainder of the house. There was access to get in. It was closed. It was dark. But the inner room is where you kept your treasures. And what Jesus is saying is the most treasurable thing to treasure, the most valuable thing to value is the intimacy and connection with God. Go to that place where you've got your stuff. 
that you think is valuable, shut the door and get with God. Because what you want to declare is you're more valuable than anything in this room. You're more valuable than anything I've got. Go into your inner room and let God show you that he is worthy of being treasured more than anything. Shut the door. And when you're praying and communing with the Father, what you're going to realize is now you are creating space where you can hear from and talk to, where you can hear from, where you can listen, where you can talk to. Now you're going into a place of silence, a place of solitude, a place of eliminating distractions, a place to say, I just want to press in. So when you find your place of solitude, when you find your place that eliminates distractions and interruptions and competing noises, pray in this way. Pray our Father who art and who is in heaven. Hallowed and holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a model prayer. This is not a memorized prayer to just throw out there. This is not rhetoric. This is heart. This is not words. This is heart. He's given us a model. Ah, oh, look at it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And Lord, forgive us of our debts and our trespasses as we also forgive others of their debts and trespasses. Do not lead us into temptation because you never would, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen. Five key elements in this prayer. I would write these down. I would even make this maybe part of your prayer uh, and intimacy with God. Five elements I think this text gives us. You start by praising God. I'm going to break it down. Then you go from praising God to yielding your heart in adoration and affection to the Lord. So I start by praising and then I yield to. Then I make my request known to God. Then I spend time in honest confession and repentance. And then I embrace the reality that the Lord's provision and the Lord's protection is with me. Like if you took this and just said, I'm going to start by just praising God. Hey, when you pray, not if you pray, not the rare occasion if you think about praying, but when, when, when you pray. Yeah, when. Call him our father. That implies identity. That invokes intimacy. That is a statement that says, our Father, I belong. I have access. Do you realize some 2,000 years ago that those people that heard this would have been blown away? 
They couldn't even say the name of God, Hebrew YHWH. They would never say, Yahweh. His name is so holy and powerful. I'll get to that. But they were like, no, you can't approach God that way. Because our Father is a personal term that reveals he's accessible to you. When you pray, he's a personal God. He's a loving, caring God. He's accessible to you. He's not some distant deity set up in some castle thousands of miles away. He's he's available. He invites you to know him. He is a father who has a genuine, genuine interest in his children. He's present. That's the reason when we sing songs like, he's a good, good father. We go, yes, he is. He's worthy. Yes, he is. Because he's accessible. Hey, hey, when you pray, call him daddy. When you, when you pray, call him Abba. When you, when you pray, call him my Lord, my shepherd, my God. When you, when you talk to him, spend some time adoring him because he's worthy. And when you talk to him, just tell him, holy, holy, holy is your name. Hallowed is your name. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, is, and is to come. Holy, perfectly pure. No one like you. I get to talk to the God of all creation. Why would I allow some text from homie to interrupt this audience I have? Holy and hallowed is your name. The word name there means the essence and the sum of all the character of who God is. Your name is holy. There was given to Jesus a name that's above all names, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God. Jesus is Lord at your name. Hallowed is your name, Father. Man, I got to study on that and got so ghosted, I was like, hallelujah. This should invoke inside of us such awe and such reverence that we're blown away that we can approach the throne of grace and find mercy and help in time of need that he goes, come to me. Come to me. We've read through this prayer, this model prayer, so flippantly. But as my brother Larry said last week, I've been lost and locked in and just marinating on this for the last three years. Every day, he's not praying the rhetoric. He made this statement last week. I get so lost on the first two words, Tim. Our Father. Praise, adoration, affection, this transcended ah, ah, Lord, you're holy. There is such a gap between who you are and where I'm at and the fact that you would tell me that I could come and hang with the king. What a crazy invite. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom 
when I hang with you and worship you and start to recognize some of who you are, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's like saying, God, I recognize your sovereignty. I recognize your authority. And God, because I recognize who you are, I yield who I am to you. What's my option? I yield. I surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And what we're declaring in that is that as I follow you, I am a citizen of heaven. The kingdom that I belong to is not the kingdom of this world. I belong to a different kingdom. My hope is anchored in what I cannot see, what I cannot touch right now. This is a temporal place. God's kingdom is coming. God's kingdom, I get to be a part of it now. But Lord, bring your kingdom here. Your perfect purity, your set-apart ways, Lord, that we need it here. And what we're declaring in that is, Lord, I understand. Life ain't about me. I'm called to build your kingdom, not my kingdom. Praise him. Worship him. As you start to move through this, he gets to the provision piece where he goes, when you pray, just say, Lord, would you give me just my daily bread? Daily bread represents just the basic physical needs that we need to do to life today. Can I present my needs to him? Yeah. God will supply all I need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So when we're asking him for daily bread, we're not saying I'm coming over here with my wants, this house, this boat, this car. I'm like, those are wants. He even, the psalmist man was so glued in and like locked in with the Lord when he writes delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you then the desires of your heart. When you delight in the Lord and you start to recognize his sovereignty and his sufficiency and his goodness and his grace and his love, guess what ends up happening? My heart's desires start to align with him. And the reason he will give me what my heart desires is because I start to desire what he desires because he's become my ultimate delight. Come on, somebody. Come on. Here's where most people snag up, oh. I like that. But this whole thing here next, bro, this forgive me of my debts as I also forgive other people of their debts. Jesus, I like that prayer until you got here. I realize that. Because confession requires a posture of humility. What is our greatest need? Forgiveness. What separates, alienates us from God? Sin. Sin has to be dealt with, atoned for. It's got to. Who is the only one that can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So when I come and say, I receive your forgiveness for my debts, nobody can cleanse me, nobody can make me whole, nobody can set me free. Lord, thank you 
When you pray, why don't you just say, Father, forgive us of our debts. Because only Christ can do that. And then, as we also forgive others. If you take anything out of this, on this piece, forgiveness gives birth to forgiveness. Jesus emphasizes that when you have been forgiven, you will forgive. He's not saying you should. He's saying you will. As my child, as you start to realize how much I've forgiven you and rescued you from darkness and all the shame and guilt, when you start to realize how much I've extended to you, you go, who am I to hold another person hostage? Now, I didn't say you had to trust them. I didn't say you had to invite them out to dinner today. But forgiveness is a vertical transaction based on being the recipient of God's agape. There's some of you in this room right now, you've been wrong, you've been, you've been hurt, you've been betrayed, you've been stepped on, and your heart's hurting. And this whole thought of forgiving someone else, you go, man, that's a tough hurdle for me to think about jumping over. When you start to say, what did God not forgive you of? He forgave me. Lord, vengeance is yours. I trust what you want to do. And when you pray, pray something like this. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us. Which means I would say, based on study, God, would you give me the desire to avoid sin? You never lead me toward sin anyway. You never lead me toward temptation let no one say when he's being tempted, he's being tempted by God. God tempts no one with sin. Lord, I need to be delivered, and I need to be reminded that you're with me. So, Lord, even as I pray, Lord, would you give me such a deep desire to avoid sin because I want to glorify you? You'd be like, that's a noble prayer. Dean, here's the resolve at the end. This is what he says. And as you pray with praise and confession and all these different elements. When you pray, wrap it up like this. God, the kingdom belongs to you. God, you have all power and authority. God, you will reign forever and ever. Amen, amen, amen. So let it be. My God is sovereign. My God is in control. My God provides. My God protects. My God It was a regular, natural, necessary part of Jewish life, and it should be for us. Let me say this. Think about this. Confidence, Earl, in praying for us, and we know this, brother, after walking with the Lord for a while, but the confidence we have in prayer and the courage we have to press into the Lord in prayer is not saying the right words the right way. The confidence we have is knowing that God really does hear me. God really does listen to me. What invites me to talk to God? God, you love me. You're for me. 
Well, I just don't have the right words. Well, say what's on your heart. God seems to understand heart communication more than he does eloquent word communication anyway. Prayer is not just this passive reflection. Prayer is I have direct access to God. It is communication of the human soul with the Lord who created the human soul. (laughs) That's what it is. It's communication of the human soul to the Lord who created the human soul. I go to the Father in the name of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's my wrap for you. We read in Scripture, hey, worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. You remember a few years back, I I was sharing with you that one of the fundamental problems for us is that we spend a lot of time telling God how big our problems are instead of telling our problems how big our God is. We we reversed it. Instead of, God, you're not going to believe what I'm going through. It's like, problem, you don't. You don't even understand who I belong to. Which is bigger? Which is sovereign? Which is stronger? And Amber, we're going to go through tough times. It's hard here. Stop. Sit in a room. Inner, inner room. Eliminate distraction. Sit. And listen, what matters? You hang in with me, you listening to me. Then pray. Lights go down and spend some time in prayer. I want to walk you through just a few minutes here in prayer. I think this is an incredible model. It gives us some pretty good applicable takeaways. Start by praising God. Do it right now. Just just in the quietness of your heart, right where you're at right now, give thanks to the Lord. Just thank God for who he is, for making you in his image, creating you in his image, for redeeming you with the blood of Christ, for allowing you to even have an opportunity to know him. God, you're good, you're holy, you're powerful, you're mighty. That's who you are to me. Those are not just vague terms, Father, that I throw your way. You are good. You are so good. You pursue us even when we wreck it. You rescue us even when we jack it up oily. Just spend some time praising him. And then move to a posture of yielding to him. 
And what I mean by that is surrender your heart and your life to Jesus. What do you need to yield to him today? What are you holding on to? What are you refusing to let go of? What are you cherishing, valuing above him? Come on. Just tell him. The fact that we have breath, the fact that we're here is a gift from God. The secret to life is this life doesn't belong to me. It is a gift that I am to steward for your glory. Lord, what are you prying out of my hands, out of my heart, out of my mind right now? What do you, you, you need to yield something right now. Then we move into a time of request where we start to pray specifically like for salvation of those lost loved ones in our family, those friendships that we have. Lord, we make our requests to you. Marriages that we see struggling and hanging on by a thread, specifically, pray for those names right now. The health of those that are sick. I mean, one of the guys that coaches at Monroe area, texted with him this morning. I got a text late last night. They're on vacation. 31-year-old wife. Brain cancer, brain tumor. Man, she was blurred vision and slurred speech. And it's like, what is going on? I've been praying for her. Praying for him. Praying for wisdom for these neurosurgeons and others. And there's trauma. There's pain around us every day. I've been praying for VBS. I've been praying for Rachel and this entire team here that God would use them to touch these lives that many of these kids have never even heard the gospel. They didn't even know there was such a thing as a gospel. I've been praying for you today that you would get involved in small group, that you would serve, that you would see that what we value is valuable in God's eyes. And then we spend time in confession. Is there any sin in your life? Are you pacifying or tolerating any sin? Do you have any gods above our God? Is there hidden things going on in your life? Whether it's hiding alcohol or hiding a porn or a lust addiction or just sin where you've been slandering someone else, you refuse to forgive somebody else, that you, you, you're hurting people, and you go, that's, I got sin. Part of the confession is looking at those distractions in our life. They cut off our enjoyment with God, our enjoyment with others, even our own soul. What are the distractions? What, where are you giving so much of your time? and your energy. And maybe it's just like, I'm wasteful. Whatever it is, just honest confession.